Welcome to the Source of Success Show, a platform where we engage in conversations with everyday individuals who have transcended the ordinary to become truly extraordinary. Their stories serve as a powerful inspiration, encouraging all of us to tap into our own extraordinary potential and embarking on a journey towards success and living our best life. I'm your host, Lana Nesredin. Today we're diving deep into the world of sharpening individual and collective business effectiveness through strategy and emotional intelligence. And our special guest who's joining us for this insightful conversation is Faris Aranki, who has crafted a formal methodology to achieve just that. Faris is the founder and CEO of Shigata Consulting. His journey began as a school teacher, then later on led to creation of his own thriving firm, which is a testament to the power of transformation and success. In this episode, Faris will not only share his remarkable personal story, but also offer invaluable advice on how each of us can pivot our career paths and achieve remarkable success in our endeavors. So let's get started. Hi, Faris, and welcome to the show. Thank you for joining me today. How are you? I'm very good. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Lana. Thank you for joining us today and sharing your story with us. Um, So I guess we can start with telling us uh, who are you and what mission are you on? Okay, uh, so I'm uh, Faris Ranke. I am the owner and founder of a little consulting firm called Sheer Ghetto Consulting. And the mission I'm on is to help people and businesses be more effective, uh, to, to achieve more uh, that, uh, um, against uh, whatever their vision and objectives are. Uh, and it's a, uh, it's a mission that fills me full of joy and I enjoy it every single day. That's amazing. Thank you. And how, in terms of like how um, your childhood, how did you grow up and what was um, the time was like uh, when you were a kid? So my childhood was in uh, southeast London. So uh, born and raised in southeast London. Uh, my parents uh, were uh, came to the UK uh, uh, sort of in the early 70s um, and uh, I have uh, three siblings so we're a very close family um, sort of uh, quite I guess a quite a classic immigrant story work hard is the sort of ethos uh, be part of your lo- your community so I've, I've got Palestinian roots uh, so we were raised um, you know very close very sort of Palestinian culture and then I uh, I went to the same school for 10 years made lots of friends there, um, had, a, had a great time and gave me a great sort of uh, background. Um, and uh, then I guess the next pivotal thing that happened, I mean, there's a lot happens in those times, uh, was uh, I took a year out working for a charity and I went over and lived for a year in Nepal, um, age 17, and had probably the most impactful year of my life, which really shaped a lot before I went to university. So there's That's a nice. real, real summary of some of the things that I... <laughs> Uh, my childhood was about that's nice um yeah i guess i understand where you um, where you're coming from in terms of like your parents and your you know being a, an immigrant and you always have to work hard and the idea of having your uh, parents will always push you to get a university degree for sure they will and to aim for a good career and to you know uh be nice to people and lots of things so um but yeah uh, you know all all the people who know what we're talking about on this uh, call will probably be shaking their heads you know there's uh, a a lot a lot of commonalities it doesn't matter which culture you come from yeah exactly and how did you sort of come about finding the opportunity to go to nepal 
How did I find it? Um, yeah. So I, uh, a friend's sister had been there working for the same charity. Mm-hmm. So he, uh, um, he and I explored it. And actually, we both we both ended up going there. Um, so it was thanks to somebody else having been there and, and their great experience. And they talked well about it, not only convinced us, but it was really helpful for our parents to get confidence that they were they would allow us or they would support our decision to go to the other side of the world, uh, basically, for a year. Um, so uh, that, yeah, that's how the opportunity came about. Um, and then I had to raise m- money to cover the flights uh and, and that sort of thing so actually there was a, a period of working before going out um but uh yeah it was such a great opportunity and a really great year that's amazing i think it's really good to get these types of opportunity when you're um young uh, because it gives you like a different perspective to the world definitely definitely i mean so much that i benefited from this year but anything you don't have to go to nepal to get this benefit you know anything where a you have to uh, engineer something yourself but be where you're in a different uh setting to what you're, you 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 know you previously been in really helps you open your mind helps challenge uh, uh what you find important in life mm-hmm. um and that that could be going to nepal it could be just getting a job you know or or hanging out with different kind of people so um yeah it was definitely very beneficial to me that's amazing. And in school, what was school like at the time when you were in school? And like, what was your dream career? Uh, so school, uh, my school was a uh, was a very it was a private school, uh, all boys. So, uh, you know, it uh, it was very it was very good and afforded a lot of opportunities. Um, and uh, in many ways, there was quite a competitive element which drove each, you know, all the children, all the school pupils. Um, but it made you think, take a lot of things for granted. Um, that uh, and, and similar, so going to Nepal and realizing that, and not, not that you didn't realize, but being really sort of confronted with not everyone has that level of opportunity um, is, is, is something that is always worth considering and keeping in mind. Um, so, um, but yeah, otherwise it was, you know, the classic things that happen at school, you, you know, you're, you're, you're young, you're trying to fit in, you're trying to find your likes, your passions, the group of people to hang out with, uh, that can be very stressful as a young person. Um, so, um, you know, school is school, but fortunately it was a nice school and, uh, uh, didn't cause extra complications for me. Um, and I can say that because I later became a school teacher and worked in lots of different types of schools. So uh, I got to see the good ones and the bad ones. Yeah, indeed. And what did you study in university? So university, I decided to study two subjects. Uh, I did a joint degree of maths and economics. That's nice. And is that how you sort of later on became a teacher? Yeah. Uh, so when I left university, um, I left at a time that there wasn't a lot of graduate jobs. There was the dot-com burst, uh, so the economy wasn't doing very well. So I decided to take that opportunity to go and teach. Uh, so I actually went and taught. The first school I taught in after university was a school in Central America. Um, I looked to combine how could I teach with how could I travel. Uh, and I really wanted to go to Latin America. So I ended up teaching at the British School of El Salvador for two and a half years. That's nice. Yeah, I think it's really good when you pick a, a sort of a career or like a job type that allows you to travel. 
um, to see the best of both worlds. Definitely. Uh, if you can combine, uh, you know, two, two passions into one job, then great. Yeah, indeed. And tell us, how did you sort of transition from like the whole um, sort of career from being a teacher into building your own firm? And how did that sort of evolve? Yeah, uh, so it wasn't it wasn't a straight switch. You know, after spending five years teaching uh, at a variety of different uh, schools and countries, uh, I decided to switch over into the business world. And I, uh, I tried to just do that directly. So I tried applying for a bunch of jobs, uh, thinking, oh, I could do that. Um, but all of them rejected me, or, or many of them never replied. Um, and then I eventually got managed to speak to one uh, HR team. And they said to me, quite simply, look, you're a teacher. Why have you applied for this job? You should just stick to teaching, uh, yeah. which I thought was quite, it was quite hurtful, but it's also quite sort of um, shallow thinking. So what I ended up doing was starting again, and I joined a graduate scheme. Uh, although I was older than the other graduates, uh, I joined a graduate scheme and said, look, I've got to start at the bottom and work my way up. So I did. I spent uh, four years working for an energy company. Uh, and after four years, I was in their strategy team and I got approached to join strategy consulting. And I then spent 12 years as a strategy consultant for different firms. Uh, and uh, four years ago, I decided that I knew enough and I was ready to start my own company. So that's how I ended up starting my own company. That's amazing. And in terms of the context of your firm, um, how did you come about yeah. uh, finding your niche? So uh, I was I was at previously uh, the, uh, uh, working for companies where I was a big brain. I was paid to solve complex problems, which I would do and I very much enjoyed. But what I realized is when you solve a problem, um, often nothing happens. Yeah. Right? You, if you come up with a solution, if people don't buy into it, then they don't do anything with it. It's just a piece of paper. And this happened like 90% of the time. Right? And what I realized, this really irritated me. So I sort of went about trying to work out why this happened and trying to fix it. And that's when I realized that I was very good at getting people to buy into ideas. So forget about coming up with the solution, getting people to buy in and get aligned. And that's when I realized that's what my passion was and that's what uh, my path was and the business I should create was about. So that's the company I created four years ago. Interesting. And tell us also about your current role uh, within your company. So, well, when you run a business, your role is lots of things. You're head of HR, you're head of sales, you're head of uh, delivery. Uh, but fundamentally, what we do as a business is we facilitate uh, teams to work better together and make better decisions. So either we get in the middle of teams and just get the best out of them, or we train leaders to do what we do so that they can really energize and connect with their teams. Um, and as I say, you know, running your own business, you one day you are out doing the work the next day you're trying to sell the work then you're trying to fix your IT system so you've got to do a little bit of everything um, which is fun but also very stressful sometimes <laughs> uh, you know I'm not a lawyer but I've had to deal with legal issues you know I'm not an IT person but when my emails weren't working I had suddenly had to learn a lot about servers and other such uh, things so yeah a little bit of everything when you're an entrepreneur yeah, exactly. Yeah, I understand that. Yeah, when you start your own business, you have to do everything yourself until you eventually hire people to do it for you. Exactly. exactly. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, so you can either see that as a fun challenge or you can be like, oh, oh my God, this is too difficult. 
<laughs> yeah. Um, so what was it like um, having your own business and like creating a company? What was that like? Because you probably didn't have any experience creating one. I didn't have any experience. I always describe it as a roller coaster. Uh, the highs are higher than having a regular job, but the lows are lower. Um, but what do I mean by that is when good stuff happens, it's all because of you. So yeah. it's, uh, it's amazing when things go right. But there's a lot of lows. There's a lot of rejection. You know, people say no to you a lot, like, no, we're not interested. No, we don't understand. No. Um, and also it's quite lonely because when you're in a company, you've got other people you can talk to, you can rely on. But when you start in the early days, when you start it on your own, um, then there's nobody even just to have a coffee with or have a joke with, let alone bounce ideas and solve problems with. So, so those are big, big factors about running your own business. But, you know, you're not the first person to start a business. So there are other people going through the same journey. And that's certainly what I realized and how I helped overcome some of those challenges. Um, so, yeah, very enjoyable. But you need to you need to work on it every day and you need to enjoy it. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, it's not an easy step to take. But once you get to a point, it's quite rewarding. Yeah, yeah. Uh, have you started many businesses, Lana, or been involved? I, I have a business. Um, uh, I'm in the um, rental market, uh, so I have got property for rental. So, yeah, I can understand the sort of struggle. You can totally relate, yeah. And there'll be lots of people listening to this podcast who also relate. And it doesn't matter if you're a, a rental business, a consulting firm, a, a builder, a, a dentist. You know, when you start on your own, you, we all have to get out there and overcome some of our challenges. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And in terms of your sort of consulting firm and the idea behind the name, can you tell us about that? Because it's quite interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So I picked a Japanese word as the name of my business. Um, now, for non-Japanese uh, listeners, shiogeto is the, is the Japanese word for a sharpening stone. So, Lana, if you've ever had a knife that is... Yep gone dull doesn't cut you've probably used a sharpening stone to make it sharper now uh that is a shiagetto or a shiagetto is a version of a sharpening stone and the reason i called it after japanese sharpening stone was one day just not long after i created the company i was trying to think up a name and i was making dinner and i was trying to cut a tomato with my japanese knife and it wouldn't cut so i went to reach for my sharpening stone and i was like hang on a minute this is a metaphor up in other companies so uh, I then said let's look up what the Japanese word for this is I then <laughs> I lost four hours of my life that evening because the Japanese have whole websites about sharpening stones they love them uh, but what I did learn is that there are six types of stone and the one you use for the sharpest blade is called the shiogeto so that is the name of my company that's very interesting yeah it's always nice to learn about um, company names because there's always like a story behind it yeah, yeah. There's always a great story somewhere. Even though. what's the name of your company? Um, so just now I'm uh, doing self-employment. It's not like a registered company. Okay. Well, yeah. People still probably call it Lana's Rentals or something. You know, there's a there's probably a name out there that's associated with you. Yeah, exactly. Um, so in terms of the idea behind your uh, firm and the name. Um, tell us, like, how do you sharpen an individual and collective business effectiveness through strategy and emotional intelligence? Uh, lots of little ways, right? So sometimes it's helping people unlock, but a lot of it is about creating connections amongst people. 
when two people find a connection, they're going to work better together. Okay. Um, and sometimes it's about um, stripping away uh, and prioritizing the things they should be working on. Because in life, we are all inundated with too many things, right? Too many distractions, too many priorities. You know, your boss tells you you have to work on B, C, D, E, F, G, and you're like, I don't have enough hours in the week. So if you if you can, as a team, decide, look, actually, there's only three things we need to work on, then instantly you're more effective. Uh, if you can make sure everyone in the team completely understands what you need to achieve when, then you're more effective. If you can remove little barriers in the way, then you're more effective. So we help through three pillars. IQ, so we help the people come up with better ideas and really sharp, you know, sharpen them and stress test them. We then help with EQ, which is the ability to communicate with others and sell the ideas to them. And then the third thing we help is with FQ, which is focus quotient, where we help them uh, make sure that they are more focused on what they should be delivering. Yeah, that's interesting. And like, how did you come about the formula for it? Um, because you have a formula on your website that's for IQ, EQ and FQ. Yeah, so I came up because I realized it was from my sort of uh, 15 years working in strategy. It was sort of doing this analysis and reflection on why people were unsuccessful in delivering their strategies. You know, mm -hmm. it was either that they didn't have the right quality of ideas or they yeah. weren't able to take others on the journey or they became too distracted and lacked focus to deliver. It always, always fell into one of those buckets. And usually, usually they had good ideas. Maybe they weren't the best ideas, but they had enough. But it was usually the EQ and the FQ that really was lacking in a company and in individuals. So that's, uh, that's why we created the, the, the equation. Um, what sort of common issues that you see with your clients when they approach you to solve their um, sort of strategy issues? Well, I mean, I can give you common challenges in each of those pillars. In the IQ place, um, I think some of the biggest challenges is that they haven't tested their ideas. You know, they, they've just come up with maybe, and they haven't come up with enough ideas. So people often come up with one idea and then just go with it rather than going, I always encourage teams, give me a hundred ideas, then it's easy to pick the best one rather than come up with two ideas because then it's a toss of a coin. Yeah. All right. Um, so there's lots of techniques to come up with more ideas, whatever you want to achieve, right? There is, there's at least a hundred ideas how to get there. So that's, that's probably the biggest thing that I see is that people come up with too few ideas and they don't, don't test them. And, and, um, and when it comes to EQ, uh, the, they don't, people, people are very comfortable at talking how they like to talk rather than talking how the other person likes to receive. Mm -hmm. What do I mean by that? Imagine you and I having a conversation. I love using data, but you hate using data. Then I might go into a conversation with you just bringing lots of charts and things. And, and to me, I'm like, this makes sense. But to you, you're like, I hate this. All right. And yeah. too many people do that. They, 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 they go in with their mindset rather than the other person's mindset. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's the big problem in the EQ. And then in the, in the focus question, the biggest problem is people are just trying to do too many things. It's plain and simple. I, every time I go into a company in particular and I say to them, how, you know, how many strategic initiatives have you got? They'll say a hundred. And I'd be like, that's crazy. You can't have a hundred things that are strategically important. Right. Yeah. Um, but they, yeah. they, they, even if they realize it, they find it hard to let go. So if you can help them let go, then they're going to be more effective. 
Yeah, I agree. I think sometimes, um, especially in the bigger companies, they, yeah. they've they got different departments and there's like uh, too many sort of uh, decision makers in each area. And then they all come up with their own strategy and then that becomes like a whirlwind of strategy list they've got. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, something that happens lots of times. Yeah, like you say, when there's lots of decision makers, they each come up with a strategy and then they're unwilling to let go of theirs. Yeah. You know, so I, I, I you know, I, you know, give you an example. I worked with a company which only had like 35 employees, but they had 150 uh, strategic initiatives. That's because the CFO had come up with 20, the CEO had come up with like 20, and each of the, and it just became impossible for the actual workers to say, well, which one should we do? Which one should we, we don't have enough hours in the day? So when I said to them, I said, look, you need to give some up. And they said, okay. Each person said, well, I'm, I'm willing to give up some of the other ones, but not my ones. Right. So, uh, which always happens because people like their own ideas more than they like other people's ideas. Uh, so what I what I did with that group was I turned each of their projects into a Pokemon card. All right. I don't know if you've ever played Pokemon, right? yeah. collectible card, but you turn a project into a Pokemon and you use their data. And then we played Pokemon in the boardroom. Okay. And there were cards that kept losing because the, 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 the numbers were terrible. They were very low level. And the people would say, well, my card keeps losing. And I said, yeah, because the, the project's terrible. And they said, okay, well, let's get rid of it, All right? So it was a way of no longer it being the CFO's idea, the thing, it was just a bad Pokemon card. So it really helped them let go of bad projects or bad initiatives or ones that weren't as good as the other ones. So we went from 150 down to 30 by playing this game. That's really a good idea. Yeah, um, so I work in the tech industry as well. So there's like different strategies for like um, collecting and gathering um, requirements. And there's like different techniques that you can use. And that's sort of what you mentioned is like similar to some of the techniques that are used to sort of prioritize the work. Yeah, uh, I mean, yeah, the, yeah, I don't. I don't I don't do completely new stuff, but I, you know, I package things. This is what I love. I love we love researching different ways and breaking through because people often know what they should be doing. They just find it hard to do. Yeah. It's yeah. like we all know that eating healthily and sleeping well is good things. We don't doesn't mean we do them day in, day out. But if if you can find a way of getting through to them, be it through a game, be it through a changing how they look at it, then amazing things can happen for the individual and for the team. Yeah. And from your perspective and your experience um, of the, you know, helping business uh, with their strategies, um, is there like a sort of common pattern that you see and you'd instantly say this strategy is like stand out and it's like the perfect strategy that they should go for out of the bunch? Um, it's very hard to say what's the perfect strategy, but the better strategies are the ones that the whole team buy into. Mm -hmm. I'd rather have a strategy that was, uh, you know, didn't deliver as much profits or as much thing, but everyone understands it and buys into it. than this amazing strategy that will, you know, is fantastic and will allow the company to land on the moon. But, you know, three quarters of the workforce don't understand it, don't really believe in it. So they're not really going to do it. Yeah. Um, um, those are the best strategies. And to be honest, a lot of my work comes nowadays from following strategy companies. You know, you may have heard of companies like McKinsey, yep. or Boost. They yep. do very complicated reports and they deliver them to the client. And the client says, thank you. Here's a million dollars. 
but then they never do anything with it because it's too complicated right yeah so what i'll do is i'll come in rip it apart and say okay what is the 10 percent of this that you like and you understand let's do that because it's better than doing nothing of a really great strategy doing 100 percent of only 10 percent of that strategy right so those are the best strategies yeah that's interesting to know yeah and what are some of the things that um we as individual or as a com uh, you know business or company uh, owners uh, should do to assess and improve our iq eq and fq quality oh those that's a great question i i think the, the first step is raise your self-awareness mm -hmm. all right uh we all we all have blind spots and we all think we're we, we've got good levels of anything, you know, IQ, EQ, FQ, or driving ability, or, uh, you know, wh whatever. So, but get an honest assessment from those around you. Um, how good is this idea? Um, could it be better? Um, how, how good am I at connecting with people? Could I be better? How focused am I, am I or are we? Could we be better? So have a really honest self-assessment. And if you don't think you can do, or people around you are not being honest with you, then bring in some external help, right? One of the most powerful things me and my company do is that we are not, we are, you know, we are independent. So we will tell you what we see. Um, um, and, um, and we can spot things that you might not be aware of. Um, so that's, that's the first thing, raise your self-awareness and then be open to, to get it to, to working on things. The second thing I'd say is don't work on too many things at once. You can't fix your IQ, EQ and FQ all at the same time. Pick one, improve it, and then move on to the next, and then the next. Um, uh, so yeah, um, yeah. Be more, be more curious, be more humble, and then pick one thing, improve it, then move on to the next. Yeah. In terms of the three areas, what would be the first one to sort of work on if, uh, say, a client had issue in all three area? What's your priority? Oh, if you had issues with all three, I'd, I'd say wherever you're the weakest or wherever you're. you're you're more passionate about fixing because passion, you know, it's uh, it's like me, you know, saying uh, I need to learn a language, lose weight, uh, move house all at the same time. I'm probably going to be more into doing one of those than the other two. So whichever one you're more passionate about, but mm -hmm. certainly I think pound for pound, um, if 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 it, all things are equal, if you can improve your EQ, you'll go a lot a long way, right? And we all know people who have amazing amounts of emotional intelligence, who are really great people, people. Um, they seem to go further in life because they know the right way to respond, the right way to build relationships. So if you if you wanted to pick one to start with, um, then that's a good, I'd probably say that's one of the best places to start. Uh, amazing. Yeah, that's a good advice. Can you tell us what is the difference between strategic success and failure? Strategic success and failure. Well, that's entirely up to uh, how clear your vision is, right? So you can only be strategically successful if you're very clear what you want to achieve. Yeah. Um, so uh, one of the biggest things is is many people don't set goals, right? And then they're surprised. Uh, there's no way of knowing if you're successful or not, right? Uh, you can do a lot of work. It's very easy to fill fill a company's time with work. Uh, but if 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 you don't have a clear direction, then you'll just go around in circles, or or you will achieve something. It might not be where you hope to be. Um, so that that often is the the, the biggest thing. Um, do you have a clear and honest uh, vision? Now I say that because I work with a few companies who claim they want to achieve one thing, 
and then go about doing a whole bunch of work that is something completely different. And then when you say to them, well, hang on a minute, is your vision wrong or is the work you're doing wrong? It's often the case that they've, they've sort of been lying about what they want to achieve with their vision. Um, because they, they can't, they've either said something that they think other people want to hear, not what they actually want to achieve. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, I think that's a big part um, of strategic success and failure. So being really clear where you want to end up and then measuring against it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's really good. Uh, yeah, I think sometimes companies, like, uh, they don't want to, like, sort of show their hands of what they're up to. And they expect the sort of uh, third party uh, that they come, you know, they ask for help. They don't really share their true, transparent and honest um, sort of goal and achievements that they want to gain. And I think that sometimes hinders their sort of the outcome of what they're trying to achieve with the third party. Yeah, completely. Uh, And if the third party doesn't know, then they might do something completely uh, wrong or, or, you know, work on the wrong things. Yeah, exactly. And from uh, all the different sort of clients that you've helped and the companies, you you work in sort of, it doesn't matter which sort of domain it is, you, you're able to like sort of apply the same strategy and uh, formula on in every company. Is that correct? Yeah, if you think about it, it's, it's the same thing. So while I used to work in the energy industry, Nowadays, my clients are every, anything from uh, consumer products to charities to education companies to uh, hospitals, uh, because whatever your goal is, one of these three things will be stopping you from achieving it. Yeah. yeah. Either the idea isn't good enough, the people aren't bought in, or you're not focused. So, yeah, I, that, and, and what I love is working with these different industries. You get to see great things and you can say, hey, look, this works here. Why don't we try it here? And vice versa. That's one of the, the beauties of the job that I do. Yeah, yeah, that's really good. Um, what would you say are the lessons that you've learned from the variety of careers that you've got and you've had, and like your current role as well? Oh, you know, I've so many lessons. Um, in fact, I, I had to, I had to for a, another podcast uh, think about the ten uh, best lessons I've learned from my career and my life today, and actually. Initially, when I uh, sat down to think about it, I thought I'm not going to come up with 10. But then I came up with about 40 and I had to pick the best 10. So um, look, I think I think the key lessons are um, to expose yourself to more challenges, uh, not be afraid of getting things wrong um, and um, and and being willing to flex how you do things, um, because uh, it's similar to what I was saying about the EQ. You may think there's one way of doing stuff, and it may have been successful for you in the past, but you will eventually reach a point in time or a challenge where what you do does not work, and you need to change because the challenge won't change for you. Um, yeah. And that's a valuable lesson, you know. So, uh, and that's um, so I'm the kind of idiot that likes nowadays creates challenges for myself to keep testing and making me try new things um, because certainly by doing that, I am better in other aspects of my life and work. Um, so these are things. And then the other key lesson, which goes back to our sort of uh, when we were talking about what it's like setting up a company is make sure you surround yourself with great people. 
people who can provide you technical support, but also emotional support, because all careers, all of life has ups and downs, has challenges, and it's so much easier if there are people around you to help. Yeah, I agree. And how did you sort of find those people to surround yourself with to basically help you in terms of like the technical aspects of setting up a company and, you know, having your business? Um, well, all throughout your career in life, you come across great people. So once you come across a great person, don't let them go, you know, um, keep stay in touch with them. It doesn't have to be every week. You can go for a you can have a catch up every six months. Uh, uh, you can just let them know what's going on in your world uh, or you find ways to work with them again in the future and if you're at an early stage of your career and you haven't found those people yet then ask people that you trust who they recommend particularly yeah. for technical expertise it's a bit like the old school before we before we had the internet and uh, all these things if you needed to find a plumber or an electrician you'd ask your friend or you'd ask your neighbor who do they use do they trust them so it's the same if you're looking for um, technical support in particular Ask the people that you trust and they'll 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 lend you their good people for the time being until you get your own. Yeah, I agree. Um, yeah, I think if like uh, for anyone that's been through the different roles and careers they've got, um, you always come across like really helpful people that are willing to help you in like no return. Like they don't expect you to give them anything in return. Um, and for anyone that's like still um, at the start of their career, um, I would say, yeah, you know, try to get you know, speak to people, like do networking, try to find ways to, you know, um, get to know people. Yeah, completely. Uh, it's amazing. It's like you say, uh, Lana, people actually want to help you. Generally, the majority of people want to help another person, but they don't know if you don't ask them. So, yeah. uh, but it can seem very daunting to go up at a networking event and talk to someone you've never spoken to before. Uh, but if you can overcome that, great things happen. Yeah, I think that's the first step that most people struggle with, like taking that step to either um, sending that email or that message or, you know, you know, reaching out to that person and, you know, in, a, in an in-person event. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I, this is what I call fighting the narrative in your own head. Yeah. So many people, you know, are not effective even before they try because their head or their, you know, the story in their head says, oh, you can't do that. Stop doing that. Uh, don't send that email. Don't don't go and talk to that person. But hey, uh, if you don't go out there, you're definitely not going to be uh, effective. At least if you go out there and they say no, at least you've tried. Yeah, exactly. That's why most most of the time, that's why I try. Like at least I tried. Um, and if it doesn't work out, then that's fine. Move on to the next person. <laughs> yeah. What a great attitude. I love it. Yeah. And in terms of the challenges that you faced, um, what were those in your career and like, how did you sort of overcome them? Oh, again, loads of them, right? I'm, uh, I'm not the youngest person, so I've had a lot of challenges in my career, 20 years. Um, but, you know, two of the biggest that spring to mind, one is the when I've changed uh, what I'm doing, there's always a challenge, you know, so when I went from being a teacher into the business world, there was a challenge convincing people not only why I wanted to do it, but that I had the skills to do it. Um, and then more recently, one of the big challenges is I you know, started a company six months before COVID. Mm -hmm. So uh, COVID came along and basically buried that company. You know, I had no work for uh, over six months. So that was a very tough time and a big challenge, not just not just financially, but more sort of emotionally. You know, when you've just started something and it gets 
whipped away, it gets crushed, uh, and you don't know when it, that's going to end. That can be very hard um, for sort of mentally. How do I get through this? Yeah, and I think the other thing in terms of your sort of your situation in that case, uh, sometimes some people might get discouraged and sort of say, "Well, I tried it and it didn't work," um, and they would probably just quit the idea. But I think in your case, it was good that you continued. And what would you say was the sort of motivation to allow you to continue? So there's a couple of things. Um, one was uh, structure. Um, so during that time, I structured my days rather than just sort of be panicked. So I was like, OK, do this, do that, do this, do that. And by doing these things regularly, good stuff will come out at some point. I don't know when, but it will help you and it will set up for success. The other thing was um, was reframing. Actually, before I set up the company, I ran through worst case scenarios in uh, on a piece of paper. And I actually written down that the worst case scenario was that for two years, the company would earn no money for one reason or another. Mm-hmm. That you know people didn't understand it, that it took time to find clients or recruit people. And I said, am I prepared if that worst case happens? Yeah, and so I planned for the worst. So actually when when a pandemic, obviously I didn't plan the specifics that it would come about because of a pandemic, but when it did hit, I said, actually, you've already planned and you're already comfortable that for two years you earn no money. So this is fine. Yeah. We've already thought about this. So so yeah, it was it was that sort of pre-planning and then also keeping structure just so that day to day it didn't sort of go crazy. Yeah, I think that's a good idea to always like plan for the good case and the bad case, because then you know if you know worst case scenario, what if that does happen, then you've at least like thought about it and have some sort of measure and step uh, for it if that does uh, come to play, and you know what to do. Definitely, definitely. I always tell companies, you know, in the IQ pillar, I always say the best things to do is to pre-decide. So what we do with companies is often we do things like war games or pre-mortems. This is where you identify where problems might come in the future. And you, yeah. pr- you make decisions. If these happen, what is the decision we make? Because the last thing you want to do is be making a de- decision under stress. You'll make a bad decision then. Right? So often the companies we work with have a pre-planned playbook. In the event this happens, we do this and this. Right? If our strategy doesn't work, because of this reason, we do this and this. So that all they have to do is just execute it then. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Um, and what advice do you have for um, someone that is like uh, thinking of creating their own company or like setting up their own business, um, but they're sort of hesitating in actually taking that step? Well, I mean, uh, the question is why they're hesitating. Like I said before, uh, setting up a company is not for everyone. Right, you know, linked to what we were just talking about. I always, I always recommend that if you're going to set up a company, imagine nobody's going to buy from it for a while. Mm-hmm. So, are you happy doing it, even if nobody cares, nobody gives you any money for a little while? Because you're going to have to do that on some days. And if the answer is no, you're not happy with that. Either the the sort of intellectual challenge and the without, you know, surviving without money coming in for a while, then best not to set up a company. But if you are happy with that, um, then um, you know my top advice is come up with a plan, but don't over-engineer it. Don't spend a year coming up with a plan, like 
time box it, say, look, for the, I'm going to one month, two months, I'm going to come up with a plan and then get out there and tell people about your company, about your plan. Because yeah. you only really realize when you get out there and talk to people, that's when you get the feedback and that's when good stuff happens. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, I've been, I've read a lot, a lot of like this, you know, books and watched quite a lot of podcasts as well and listened to them in terms of like uh, having that idea of doing something. As, as long as you're keeping it to yourself, then you're not putting yourself into um, being responsible to actually going through with it. But when you tell someone, then they hold you accountable to it. And you're now in a position that you have to achieve something. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and uh, yeah, there's the accountability and you and you get feedback, uh, whether yeah. it's good or bad. Yeah. Um, I often tell the story of, uh, uh, the first time I was a best man was for my brother. Uh, and I wrote a speech that I thought was brilliant. And uh, my sister said, let's listen to the speech. And I said, no, no, you're going to have to wait till the day because it's brilliant. I don't want anyone to hear it. And she kept saying to me, let, come on, let me listen to it. And eventually I, I shared it with her. And you know what? She told me it was rubbish. Right? <laughs> and while, while that hurt, she was right. But, you yeah. know, and if I'd kept it secret, it would have been on the day, not very good. But because of her, she said, you know, she said, oh, I like that bit, but I don't like that bit. I like that bit. So you need to fix that. And so I changed it because of that. And then I shared it with my parents and they found other things that they didn't understand because they have a different, you know, they're older and they look. And so, again, it made it stronger. It made it a better speech. But I could have kept it hidden from the world and then it wouldn't have been as great on the day. Yeah, exactly. I agree with that. Yeah. Um, the more you share, um, the more feedback you get and the better your sort of plan and your idea becomes uh, into like reality. Yeah, completely. Uh, yeah. 100%. Yeah. And how do you sort of create and maintain a positive mindset and like how do you apply that to your sort of business and to your clients as well? Yeah, it's super important, the positive mindset. Um so I have like some little techniques that get me into a good mood, you know, and they're silly things like uh, singing songs to myself, um, uh, you know, drinking from my favorite mug, uh, doing silly faces in front of the mirror. But there's there's bigger things like I have a chat with people that um, are very important to me, you know, so I will ring my sister. I will ring my close friends if I'm feeling down. Um, and um, and then the other techniques I use are sort of reframing. You know, I have this technique that I call uh, the genie. Now, um, have you, uh, do you know the, the story of Aladdin? Yeah. Uh, where he finds a genie in a lamp and he has three wishes. Now, I imagine I have a genie, but I only have one wish. Mm -hmm. And if ever anything bad happens to me, I say to myself, is this so bad that I need to use the genie? That I need to use my one wish in life? And if the answer is no, then it can't be that bad. It means there's something else that is worse in my life. So this can't be that bad. So that really helps me get back into a positive mode. If this is not the worst thing that could ever happen to me, then then I know that, you know, it'll get better. So it's little mindset techniques like that that I use, as well as the other things that really help me stay positive. Yeah, I think that's a really good idea. I've never thought about it that way. Yeah, that's a good technique to use to stay positive. Um, I guess my technique is 
the worst case is you're gonna die if it's like something risky you're doing. <laughs> we all die. <laughs> we all die, yeah. Well, well, very similar to that. There's also failure anniversaries. Have you heard of failure anniversaries? No. So imagine something bad's happened to you, okay, Lana? Mm -hmm. uh, let's say whatever you you you, know, you lose a big client, you get sacked from your job, you what? Yeah, anything. Uh, it, and it doesn't have to be that big, but but you know if it's big. What I do then, uh, here's what I recommend, is open your diary and send yourself a meeting invite for six months later or a year later. Okay. The reason being is that a year later, you won't feel as distressed as you do now. And when you look at your calendar, right, if you have lots of these anniversaries, whenever something bad has happened to you, there's probably an anniversary of something that happened a year ago coming up in your diary. And you'll look at it and go, oh, do you know what? A year ago, that seemed really bad, but it's not bad now. So the mm. thing I've just happened to me, I know I'll get through it because I got through that other bad thing and I got through that other bad thing. Um, so my diary is full of these anniversaries and I actually celebrate some of them because do you know what? After time, a lot of things are no longer as important as you think in the moment. Yeah, that's interesting as well. I've never tried that, but I'm actually trying it. It's really good. <laughs> Go for it. I'm yeah. full of lots of these little things, but you know, find the things that work for you. That is the key to all the things that I talk about. You know, I'll give you a hundred ideas, pick the three or four that really resonate with you. Mm. Yeah, that's really good. Yeah, that's making me think, uh, you know, there's always things that right now you're always thinking that's like the most important issue that you've got right now, but in a few months' time, that's no longer the most important issue you've got like other things to deal with yeah it's really it's it's very funny i i um i share a lot of my business life on uh, linkedin right I'm, I'm forever it's a great way of staying connected with my community and marketing my business and for example about um about four months ago i was evicted from my apartment mm -hmm. by my landlady uh and so I posted at the time a lot about it and how stressed I was and how difficult it was to find somewhere new. Yeah. And obviously now, four months later, I've got a new place to live and it's all happy. But a lot of my community um, still come up to me. I, I went for coffee today with a client and he wanted to talk about how, you know, uh, about my living arrangements because he was like, I saw on LinkedIn, you know. So it was really funny in my head. I was like, oh, yeah, four months ago, that was the most stressful thing in my life. But that was four months ago for me. But you've only just seen it on LinkedIn. So you think it's it's I'm still going through stress. I was like and I was laughing about it. going, Oh, no, no, it's all fine now. But it's a nice reminder of like how quickly things can move on. Yeah, indeed. Yeah, I use LinkedIn as well. It's quite helpful uh, sort of platform for like professional. And I think nowadays it's becoming more um, acceptable to sort of share personal problems as well. And, you know, um, people do reach out and, you know, support you. Yeah, amazing. Uh, what a great idea. Yeah. And in terms of uh, your why, how did you find your why and what advice do you have for anyone that's sort of struggling to find their why? So for me, my current why, uh, which really resonated, was all thanks to working with a coach. Mm -hmm. I found an amazing coach who asked me the right questions and, and helped me find the answers to those questions. And that really led me to my why. So my my big advice is 
find the right person to help you ask to ask you the right questions and help you find the answers it doesn't have to be a professional coach it could be a close friend it could be a, a family member but it's got to be someone that you trust and and ask those questions um because it makes a hell of a di difference if you haven't found your why yeah uh, how did you find your coach so i <laughs> i uh, interviewed a range of coaches actually i met with them to see if there was a connection and i picked the coach that uh because i know me i picked the coach that i knew would challenge me who was the exact opposite of me so if i said left they said right if i said up they said down um which i knew is what would be good for me because if there was someone who was who would agree with me too much i'd just end up being more like friends yeah but i wanted someone who would yeah. be like i disagree with you why do you think that yeah explain it to me so i did literally pick someone who was the opposite of me you know um so and uh uh, she's a great woman who helps me a lot. That's amazing. Yeah, I think that's a good technique to sort of find the coach that will be best suited to your sort of needs and your um, overall strategy and goal that you want to achieve. Um, and yeah, as you say, there's always like people that you can go to as long as you trust them to share what it is that you want to share um, and they can be like supportive and whatever that you're struggling with and they're trying to help you with. Definitely. Yeah, it's good Good advice. Yeah. Um, how do you continue to stay in your sort of peak performance without feeling burned out? Um, it's about setting boundaries. It's about enjoying what you do. You know, so a lot of the work that I do today, um, I based it around stuff I already enjoyed. So, for example, even before I set up a company, every day I was sending friends voice notes for their birthdays. Mm -hmm. So... Now I just use voice notes for business development uh, and I enjoy it. Uh, so I, it doesn't feel like I'm doing work, a lot of the work that I do. So try and, try and bring fun into everything you do, set boundaries. I actually work less now than when I worked, when I worked for somebody else because uh, although I'm the boss and I could work infinitely, a, a large part of it is about having a better quality of life and knowing that um, good, you know, you don't have to be perfect in everything. You know, so certainly when I was a strategy consultant, we were trained to look for perfection in everything we wrote, everything we did. But actually, you realize when you run your own business, 80% is good enough. Um, and um, and you, and you, you know, get comfortable with that. Yeah. Yeah, that's the thing with uh, having your own business or your company. Like, you can set your own time and the sort of rules around what's perfect and what's not perfect. Whereas if you work for someone, you have to go by their rules and that might not be aligned with your sort of uh, idea of what's perfect. Yeah, yeah. It makes it a lot harder if you're borrowing somebody else's standards. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, in terms of uh, sort of your career, um, how would you sort of, what would you do differently if you were to redo your career um, and why, why would you make that change? Oh, I mean, um, I'm not really a woulda, shoulda, coulda person because I think there's a lot of wasted energy in that space. But I think the main thing wouldn't be, I wouldn't necessarily change any of the, the sort of journey that I have, but the emotions that I've had along the way. You know, I would I would tell myself to just calm down. You know, when I was younger, like many people, I was very stressed about achieving the next level or the next promotion or the next uh, style. And it was like the end of the world if I didn't get it. But actually... When you're a bit older and you look back, it's a bit like those failure anniversaries. You realize it wasn't that important, but the amount 
stress you put yourself under at the time was immense. Um, yeah. So yeah, it would be more around the emotions I had rather than the actual journey that I took. Yeah, I agree. Um, at the start of the career, everyone sort of has that heavy sort of emotion. Um, but as you go through and get more experience, you become less emotional about it. And I think maybe to do with the fact that you think um, you're not, you know, you don't have the skill set and you don't have the experience compared to the people that are that have been in the industry for longer than you have. And it, this becomes sort of overwhelming for you. And I think that's where yeah. the sort of heavy emotion comes from. Yeah, agreed, agreed. Yeah. Um, what would you say are the sort of benefits and the sort of rewards that you gained from your career? Oh, well, I mean, the rewards and benefits um, have been the variety, um, have been the, and that's both in terms of the experiences, but the people that I've met um, and, um, and the opportunity, right? Um, by, by looking at things and saying, look, I've, I've learned this here, I can apply it here, opens up a lot more opportunities. Um, now, consulting is a great career for variety and opportunity because every couple of months you're working on a new project, a new client. Um, but even if, you, if you're not in something as varied as consulting, you can create the, that variety and opportunity in your own business. Um, you know, so I think those are, those are for me the big benefits that I've had from my career. Yeah, that's really good. Yeah, I agree. Um, consulting is a really good sort of field to give you variety because um, I'm a technical consultant and I've like had so many different sort of projects and worked with so many different um, companies. And that gives you a good flavor, whereas the other sort of roles where you're um, strict on one type of project, and you're going to be on that project forever and it doesn't change the nature. No, it doesn't. But, you know, then then you can look for things around it to do that bring the variety. Yeah, yeah, true. Um, mm. What advice would you give to someone that is sort of taking or wants to take a similar path as you? Go for it. Uh, you know, uh, give, me, give me a ring. I'll happily uh, give you, you know, help you through it. But um, by that, I mean, yeah, don't be afraid. Don't, you know, there's lots of reasons not to do something. Um, but, uh, and lots of people will tell you their opinion, but if you want to do something, go for it, ask for help along the way, enjoy it. Um, and, uh, good things will happen. Yeah, that's a good advice. And in terms of, uh, setting up a business, what sort of advice would you give or one lesson that you, you, you know, would have been helpful to know before starting your own business and company? Oh, there's lots of lessons. I, I've, I've written a lot about this, but um, I think, you know, as well as surrounding yourself with good people who will help you because there's going to be lots of stuff you don't know. Yeah. I think the sooner you can articulate your why and what you are offering, the better. It's not easy. It is not easy to be really clear on what you are offering, what you're doing, what your business is about. You might think it is, but it's a bit like that speech yeah, that you know, I wrote for my brother. Until you start telling it to people and watching them as they sit there and go, what? Uh, you realize they didn't understand a word of what you just said, even though you, yeah. So, so, yeah, my advice is really sharpen a very simple message around what your business does very early on. 
Yeah, agree. Yeah, I think that's a good advice. Um, the sooner you find out what it is that you want to achieve and like in terms of the niche that you want to be in, the better it becomes the process later on. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah. And what's your sort of thoughts around AI and its impact on businesses and the job market? I mean, um, AI uh, is like any other technology. You know, you look back through human society, we either love or hate technology. It's going to create change. Um, so why not embrace it? You know, so certainly I, I, uh, I try and use AI in my job and it helps in a lot of areas. And I don't think I've even scratched the surface of what it can do. So don't be afraid of it. In fact, I actively encourage teams that I work with to use it. Um, and I often create create situations so they have to use it because the sooner you learn the technology the, the you know the better it'll be it'll be a bit like you know years ago my dad and mum said they never wanted a mobile phone now you know you can't take them off them uh, yeah. so once you learn the technology you'll actually it'll change from seeming like an enemy to being a friend and so the earlier you can do that the more you'll get out of it yeah yeah i think um in general like ai is a really good tool in most area it's just it goes down to how you use it um it's between like whether you use it for a good purpose or a bad purpose then that's where the sort of um the path sort of splits and then people think that ai is a bad tool completely yeah yeah it's and it's time and time again we see that with technology yeah um, outside of work, is there other activities that you take part in in terms of like maybe giving back to the community or like, um, you know, providing a service that is, you know, not um, within your normal day to day uh, sort of work um, remit? Yeah. Uh, so um, having been a school teacher for years and then moved over to the business world, uh, I was still always really connected to education. And uh, when I was in uh, my first consulting company, this email came around one day where they were looking a school was looking for people who had an education background, but also a business uh, mindset. And so I replied to this advert and uh, went along and basically I came, became a school governor of a special needs school in London. And it was great. It was sort of working at the strategic level of the school to decide what they should do, what they shouldn't do, make sure that it grew and overcame its challenges. So really was blending the best of both worlds. But what I didn't realize is it was start a journey for me of over 10 years working on educational charities, because having done, you know, being a governor, I was for 10 years, I got invited to join other charities in that space. So I ended up uh, for years being a part of a group that set up uh, free schools around the UK um for special needs students uh, and then i've been involved uh, in the last sort of five years in a charity that gives grants to special needs uh, institutions around the uk to help them uh, help children um so it's been it's been really great but little did i know replying to one email about 15 years ago would you know involve so much uh, would still be going today for me that is amazing. And for the work that you do as well, um, in terms of like helping the special need uh, kids. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's really amazing. Um, well done. Oh, thanks. I mean, I, I love it. It's, uh, I love being back in the schools and in the classroom environment. But yeah, if you can make an impact, any kids, to be honest, but yes, yeah, special needs kids, um, 
that you know have a tough tough time in life so if yeah. you you can create institutions that help them in in lots of different little ways then uh, that's good for all of us yeah definitely agree um for for the case where you mentioned that you received an email i think in most cases sometimes um you do get these sort of opportunities through email but because nowadays that you need to be aware of like spams and you know phishing and in most cases if someone gets those types of email they might actually just delete it yeah they might delete it or they might look at it and say i'm too busy or i'll look, I'll look into it later yeah i mean and who knows maybe i was just at the right time it, it was just the right time of day but it, it's only it, it came from a trusted source it was like from the head of hr in the company they clearly and, and you know what i was very impressed is that the school had thought about it and said actually if we target a few companies where there might be some people then maybe we'll get one one or two good candidates come through the door um and uh, like i say i didn't realize from the advert just how much time would be needed um yeah. and i guess if i had known that i might have not applied because at periods in my life over the last 15 years sometimes it's been like having a second job you know there's been a lot of late nights uh doing stuff but actually when you're doing it for a good cause you know you're more willing to uh, go those hard yards yeah yeah usually when the the role that you do is for like a good cause as you say you don't really think about the time that you're spending on it but when it comes to like your actual job you're sometimes counting the hour that you're doing it yeah that's that's what that's uh, never a good sign for your job but i i appreciate a lot of people are in that position yeah yeah indeed um and in terms of your sort of relationship um has your career choice had any sort of impact on your personal life um for sure it has yeah uh i'll be honest um now i have a very close relationship with my family and that, by that i mean my parents and my siblings and and my uh, nephews and and stuff um and that's partly cultural you know i come from a very close culture um in terms of you know beyond that um certainly working intensely i think my 15 years as a consultant where for large parts of it i was traveling every week um i was away from home i wasn't in london made it very hard to have a personal romantic relationship with anyone because i just was never there um and um yeah it took me a while to realize that um but uh again it's about choices that we make um and when you asked me earlier would i go back you know i've had a great career i've enjoyed things and uh um maybe i would have found love earlier in my life had i not had that lifestyle but then i might have missed out on other things so am i comfortable with those choices i made yeah i am yeah yeah true um yeah sometimes when you take the career path uh and then try to build a good career it sort of does impact your other areas um but once you get to a point and you're in a stable position in your career i think that's a good time to sort of rekindle and you know work on your other sort of personal relationships yeah um and yeah it, it's different things for different people i remember years ago when i was in nepal teaching in a school I explained one day to the students they asked me why I wasn't married I was 17 at the time mm -hmm. because in Nepal everyone got married about in the villages about 13 14 oh, wow. um oh, wow. 
And so I explained to them that in, in the UK, we had love marriages and that people only got married when they fell in love and found the right person. And I thought this was like a nothing conversation. I was just telling the kids casually. The next day I turned up to school and there was 30 angry parents who wanted to, who wanted an apology from me about how dare I t say these things to their children. And that's when you realize like there is, there is, you know, everyone has a different set of standards and a different way of uh, uh, doing things. Now, it's not for me to say their way was wrong because that's what they've been doing, but it was completely different to the way I approach my life. Um, and they were very angry about that. Yeah. Yeah, I, I could imagine that. Um, so, like, in some countries, yeah, you have that sort of idea where the traditional approach is the way to go for marriage, um, and love marriage doesn't quite exist. Uh, and if it does, they're, like, all secretive. Um, but I think nowadays um, it's getting better in most uh, underdeveloped countries as well. Yeah, I mean, you know, society and development takes time. But it does it does get there. Yeah, exactly. And in terms of uh, work life balance, how do you manage your work life balance? I must admit, like everyone else, um, it, it uh, sometimes it ebbs and flows. Uh, but generally, it's pretty good now. I run a business, you know, because as I was saying earlier, I enjoy so much of what I do in terms of my business that it doesn't feel like work. Um, but it's about having clear boundaries. Um, and it's about identifying the things that you want to do outside of work, you know. So um, now that I run my own business, I often just, you know, at lunchtime go for a long run because I love going for a run, uh, you know, and I'll restructure my my diary or um, what I do. If I ever go to a new country with work that I've never been to, I always take holiday. I always structure my diary. So recently, this year alone, I've been to Ethiopia that clients have paid for and had a nice two week holiday uh, because they flew me there for work. Uh, the same with our man. Um, so I'm always looking for these opportunities to get the ballot, you know, the life part uh, alongside the work. Yeah, I think that's a good idea. Um, sometimes uh, in my like previous roles, when I was also traveling for work, uh, I was also taking advantage of being a tourist slash working as well. <laughs> Completely, yeah, why not? Yeah. Life's yeah, too exactly. short. And they all pay for it as well, so might as well enjoy it. Yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, and for anyone that's sort of struggling with work-life balance, what advice do you have for them? Um, I think try and make small improvements at first. You know, too many people realise or know that their work-life balance is off and they'll come up with something fundamental like oh okay from now on I'm, I'm leaving the office at five every day which is unrealistic if you if you're leaving the office at nine every night to make that big a leap do it in small steps not only because it'll be hard for you but it'll be hard for everyone else who's got used to you being that pattern yeah right uh, and they'll they'll yeah find it hard but um another another piece of advice is try and try and understand how much of it is driven by you now, what I mean by that is I've got a very, I've got a lot of friends who are lawyers and I'm thinking about one friend in particular. He always told his wife, I just have to make it to partner. Then I, then I'll, you know, then I can ease up. I won't have to work till 2 a.m. every night. You know what happened? He got to partner. He was still working to it. The reason being is he actually loved it. It was all coming from him. It wasn't the need. He always found an excuse, and but he couldn't see it that he was driving it. So 
try and be honest with yourself. Try and identify how much of your work-life balance mismatch is driven by you rather than the actual work. Yeah, that is true. Um, yeah, I agree. Because uh, sometimes when you've been in that cycle for so long, you've become accustomed to that sort of structure and it's no longer about the the work, the amount of work that you have, but it's more about you've created that habit within yourself that you want to continue working till late and you don't know how to sort of end that cycle. Exactly, yeah. Habits take time to form and take time to reset. So that's why I say take small steps rather than big leaps. It's much yeah, easier. exactly. Thank you for the advice. Um, for the sort of, uh, in terms of your health, what do you do to sort of maintain a good health? So, uh, do you know what, since starting my own company, the number one thing I focused on is sleeping more. I used to be the kind of person who'd say, ah, it's okay, I only need four or five hours sleep. Um, and yeah, I could do it, but actually pound for pound, getting a good night's sleep really helps with my mindset, really helps me have the energy to be my best in every meeting and every conversation. So that's the number one thing I do. I you know, carve out to get seven, eight hours sleep as much as possible. Aside from that, I like to do exercise regularly. So um, th three or four times a week, I will go for a run, even if it's only for 20 minutes, um, because I like running, but it doesn't have to be running, it could be whatever, you know. I also yeah. play golf, I play tennis occasionally. So find the things that you like, and that's what I do for my health. Um, and then that means, you know, you can overindulge in other areas. Um, so, you know, I like cooking, uh, I like eating, so, by, by sleeping well and doing some exercise, I con myself that I can do those other things a bit more. Yeah, um, you mentioned sleeping. So I suppose there's this um, idea around uh, business owners or company uh, founders that they have this goal to always like wake up early. That's where this more sort of energy and their you know um, productivity comes from. Is that what you do? Do you wake up early? No, uh, I, I'm not a morning person. I can be a morning person um, and I get up early if I have stuff to do. But if I don't have stuff to do, no, I'm a night person. So um, I'll, I'll much rather, if if completely left to my own, stay up till 2 a.m. and and get up at sort of 8, 9, then, then uh, get up every day at 5. Um, because I know that's when I'm very productive and very good. So yeah instead of fighting it now the downside is the reason to get up early is more people are up early so if i need to if a lot of what i need to achieve involves other people then it, obviously it is far better to be up early yeah 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 true yeah. and but. yeah true and in terms of um you know just in, in general like what do you do to switch off and like take a break in terms of not worrying about work or like um, you know your day-to-day -day sort of challenges yeah well I love I love uh, socializing catching up with people I've already mentioned I like cooking uh, just like everyone else I love a bit of TV uh, in the last two weeks I've been to the theater twice so I love uh, I, you know I love mixing it up but I love that sort of uh, switch off uh, get absorbed into something usually involving friends uh, but not always, you know, so there are there are some times that particularly the work that I do, which is very much people focused, I'll get to the end of the week and they'll say, like last weekend, 
I'm just going to spend 24 hours in my apartment, um, you know, reading a book or watching some TV and I don't care. I'm not ashamed to say that's what I've spent my time doing. Yeah. Yeah, sometimes you do need that sort of alone time when you've been interacting throughout the week with lots of people. Um, you do need to sort of have space to yourself. Um, I think it's really good to have that moment. Yeah, I always like to think of it as energy levels like a battery. And you can yeah. spend it, but you need to recharge it. And how you recharge it is up to you, right? What what recharges quickest, you'll know. Yeah, exactly. Um, so in terms of your future plans, uh, what's next on your journey? So uh, I'm going to continue building this business. It's it's super fun. You know, it started four years ago with just me. We now have a team. Um, next step is to actually get even more formal, have an office, um, have, uh, you know, more employees. Um, and uh, I'm looking for you know, a partner for the business uh, because it's tough. It's still tough, uh, but it's also more enjoyable building it with somebody else. Um, so that's that's the sort of stuff that excites me. And off the back of it, it allows me to do stuff like these podcasts, do more talks, do more interact with more people. So, yeah, I'm really much looking forward to that sort of stuff. Um, that will certainly occupy me the next uh, four or five years. And who knows beyond that? You know, um, uh, I think life has got many more phases for me. Uh, and many more sort of junctions where I can go left or right. And I look forward to approaching each and every one of those. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a really good plan for the future. Um, how can our listeners support you on your journey? Well, just just come and talk to me. Um, you know, uh, I love learning new stuff, uh, listening to, uh, to people and sharing my uh, uh, story and more. So the best, the best way to do that is come via the website, which is sheerghetto.com or, or um, look me up on LinkedIn. I spend a lot of time there uh, sharing my story, but also talking to people. Um, and there should only be one Farris Ranky, but I'm sure we'll put the links in. Yeah. For anyone yeah. Yeah, we'll definitely share the links um, so that everyone can like have the sort of channels to reach out to you. Brilliant. Thank you very much. Yeah. Um, so our, our sort of uh, tradition on the podcast question is um, how much of your success do you attribute to luck and how much of it is uh, hard work? A hundred percent to both. Uh, what I mean by that is um, it, it, it's 50-50 it's, 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 it's because you make your own luck. Um, I remember uh, a few years ago I got into a cab and I was chatting to the cab driver. I, I'm the kind of person who chats to a cab driver. And I said, how's your evening doing? And he said, he said, the thing about my job is it's entirely up to luck. If I drive now and I turn left, I might find somebody who wants me to drive to Scotland, you know, who's in London. And then I've made 500 pounds. Or if I turn right, I might not find anyone for the rest of the evening. So he said, it's entirely up to luck. And I said, yeah, but you control that luck. You decide which roads to be based in. You decide to have you, how much fuel to have in your car. You decide what time of day you're going to be working. So I said, there are things that you control that can increase or decrease how much luck, how likely you are to find that guy who will take you to Scotland. So I think it's the same in business. Yet I might, you know, someone might knock on my door and offer me a million pound contract tomorrow. But I think the things that I do make that more likely to happen. Um, so don't be surprised when lucky things happen to you if you've been working hard. Yeah, I agree. I think that's a really good way to put it. Um, because 
Yes, uh, there is a good extent and amount that you can control your luck. Um, it's just based on the steps that you take. Exactly, exactly. So, yeah, 50-50. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Um, what's one takeaway that you want the audience to get from this uh, episode? I think the one is just get out there, be more curious, listen more, ask more questions, have more fun. That's a good advice. <laughs> Thank you. Um, what's your final words before we close out? Ah, oh, it's just to thank you, Lana. It's been very nice chatting with you um, and uh, and sharing little elements, but also hearing a bit more about you and your story. And um, hey, anyone who gets the opportunity, you listen to the podcast, be a guest on the podcast and uh, just generally, um, yeah, uh, enjoy it. Thank you so much. Thank you, Paris, for being on the show today and for inspiring us with your uh, sort of journey in your career and your personal life and sharing your knowledge and wisdom. Uh, I look forward to having you back and I wish you all the best and success with your future journey and your uh, goals and plans for She Gets All. Thank you very much. Thank you. And thank you to everyone who tuned in. And if we can all do one thing, then be it to inspire one another and make the world a better place than we found it, no matter where we are. Remember to be you, inspire and enjoy the journey towards a happier, fulfilling and successful life. And I'll continue my mission to inspire you with one episode at a time. Please don't forget to like, share, subscribe to the YouTube channel and hit the notification bell so you don't miss the next episode. You can also follow the podcast on Apple, Spotify and Google. Last but most importantly, please leave a comment, rate and review to let me know what you've learned from this episode and what would you like me to cover in the future episodes. I'm Lana and thank you for listening.